Okay, well, I will get us started. Welcome, everyone, to the third Sunday Stroll podcast. Um, This is our third installment, and we're still talking about church and race and having that conversation. Um, I've discovered that listeners cannot hear my clever musical intro and outros unless you're listening to this on the Anchor website. So do that. (laughs) Uh, Hopefully I'll find ways to add music into the other platforms too, but we'll see. Um, So today it is myself, Blake Ridge, and Dr. Haynes. Atara's not with us uh, tonight. Um, But we kind of wanted to start this podcast off. When we started this conversation, it was because of the Ahmad Arbery case, and since we have talked about that, there's been another, actually a couple of other cases mm-hmm. um, involving police brutality, um, and the most prominent of those is George Floyd. Um, and if y'all are okay with it, I'm just going to kind of lay it out and then ask your thoughts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Basically, police responded to a forgery or a bad check. I've heard both. One of y'all may may be able to clarify that better. And they arrested George Floyd. And I did see a video uh, where he did not resist arrest. And he was um, handcuffed. And then, basically, there was a bystander who took a video of a police officer kneeling on this man's neck, on George Floyd's neck for a prolonged period of time. And I know the thing that first struck my mind was you've detained the suspect, right? (laughs) Why do you need to do that? Number one, but then number two, you hear him saying, I can't breathe. I can't breathe as the video goes on and he's in distress. He says he's in distress and I'm thinking, okay, well maybe the officer thinks he's overreacting. Uh, right you know like he is not taking that seriously and I and I'm thinking uh, okay at one, he's gonna let up he's gonna let up like, it's like you keep waiting for that and then when he becomes unresponsive that's when I really was like okay surely now right like surely now this police officer is gonna let up on this man's neck like uh, your airway your main airway and is so I don't know about y'all but for me, I, it was so painful. It's so painful to watch just the bystanders pleading with this officer to check his pulse, you know, to let up. And they're videotaping it, and the off- officers see they're videotaping it, but they don't, they don't stop. What were y'all's um, thoughts when you saw the video? Rich, you want to go? Yeah, yeah, I'll go. <laughs> so, to be honest, I haven't seen the video. Um, I've seen, uh, you know, the the picture that that keeps circulating around uh, uh, social media. I'm not, I'm not sure if the picture, when the picture was taken, if he had lost consciousness at that point, um, or if he was still responsive. But he definitely looks like, uh, like he's in bad shape. Um, you know, I've, I've got a lot of thoughts thoughts on it um but my you know kind of, kind of like you were saying just the uh the ridiculousness of uh just the I don't, I don't know what you would call it prolonged um 
detainment, uh, you know, especially in the way that, that he did it. I have a friend who's a police officer and, and talking to him, he says, you know, once a, once a suspect is handcuffed, uh, protocol, uh, supposedly, uh, again, this is secondhand information, but protocol is to, to flip someone over onto their side. Um, even if they're resisting arrest, you still, you can, there, there are ways to go about it. Um, you put, you know, you, they do use knees, but usually the knee goes in the small of the back or between the shoulder blades, not on someone's throat uh, mm. or their neck. Um, but he was talking about just how, how difficult, and you can try it yourself. I mean, if you lay down, you know, face first on the ground and put your hands behind your back, it's, it's already not easy to breathe. Mm. Um, so he was telling me that, uh, essentially as soon as the suspect is put in handcuffs, that that protocol is to get them flipped over onto their side just so, so that they can breathe. Mm. Uh, you're supposedly, and again, uh, uh, not firsthand knowledge. I have absolutely zero police training. Um, but, uh, from what I am being told, uh, you're not supposed to have a subject laying face down on the ground, uh, for, for a prolonged period of time. And I guess I, you know, I guess it probably, it may differ situation to situation. Like if, if the suspect is, uh, is resisting, maybe you have to use a little bit more force. Um, but the reports that I'm reading are nine minutes, nine minutes. Mm -hmm. Um, that uh, uh, Mr. Floyd was on the ground uh, with the officer's knee on the back of his neck, cutting off airflow. And uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I just, you know, I, I, there's no excuse for it. Uh, you can't, no way to justify. And again, this is just without seeing the video, just, just the picture and reading the reports. There's no way to, to justify the actions that were taken by, this police officer, I'm not even sure what his name was. Uh, d- didn't read it in the couple reports that I've seen, but yeah, that's that's my thoughts. Mm. Yeah, I, I'm with um, Ridge in terms of not watching it, but I deliberately didn't couldn't watch it. Like, so yeah. I um, was telling someone that I am probably now just officially traumatized for a number of reasons, but. Um, <laughs> When I when I saw the picture, the picture was bad enough um, to watch because I think, like earlier today, you mentioned the symbolism that goes with it, and unfortunately, that symbolism symbol triggers this like collective trauma um, that's that's there. So I knew I didn't want to see <laughs> the actual video, and it's also hard because. You're also watching when you watch when you look at the video, you can or the even the picture, you can see a few things. One, you see one officer standing, um, one officer, you know, with knee on neck uh, for several minutes. But then there are other pictures that have come out, and it's four officers, right, um, that are sitting there, three three to four officers holding him down. And I think that's the difficult part to watch. Um, and then I've also watched the, though I have watched the pre-video, the initial arrest, and what I have learned from the arrest is that um, there was a suspicion that the the $20 bill that he gave was a counterfeit $20 bill. So there's no confirmation that it was actually um, 
counterfeit. There's no confirmation of a forgery. There was just wow. a suspicion of. And, you know, earlier in this week, we had a case in Central Park where, you know, a woman is threatening a man and saying, I'm just going to call the police and tell them this is happening. But the idea of we have to be very careful because there are these broader narratives and stereotypes about, you know, particular groups that um, unfortunately we hold to uh, or people hold to and that, that it can be a life or death situation. So my reaction has ebbed and flowed. Um, I don't think I was ever very angry until today. Um, and I wasn't angry about the situation. I was angry about a particular person's response. Hmm. The situation. Yeah. So, uh, I, yeah, yeah um, that, that threw me for a loop. But for the most part, you know, I was like, it was, it saddened me. It more so saddened me. Um, you know, I have two two young men in my household that we're raising. I'm married to a black man. And so my brother, my, my uh, father, my sister posted this very emotional Facebook post um, because so many of them were just struggling. Like so many of my male uh, friends were, were having a very difficult time with this, or they were just trying to block it out. They were trying to just, you know, because you, I, I don't know what you do. <laughs> I, don't, I yeah. don't know what you do or what you say. So, yeah. And that, you mentioned, I didn't know it was just a $20 bill. I mean, th- that level of brutality, that response to a forgery, you know, like we're not mm-hmm. talking about a murder or any major crime, a forgery. And this man lost his life. And and it's just so, to me, it's so unbelievable. Like, if that, I, I feel like a lot of people, the video is hard to watch. But I feel like a lot of people do need to watch it. Because you cannot dismiss the issue when you, when you watch that video. It's not like the officers got caught up in the moment. Um, they, they, it was prolonged and people were saying, look at what's happening. You need to stop this. That's what's so shocking about it is they had those markers, those people saying, please uh-huh. stop. You know, this uh-huh. man is unresponsive. And it, it was, that's what was so just shocking about it. Yeah. And supposedly, too, uh, uh, adding to the $20 conversation, I uh, just heard this this afternoon that it turned out that it was a uh, uh, actual $20 bill, that it was not a counterfeit $20 bill. Oh. And, and then and talking to some of my coworkers, you know, even if, you know, and I know, you know, I, I probably said a hundred times the last podcast that how much I respect the judiciary and judicial system. Uh, the police force, uh, I have family members and best friends who are police officers. Um, but there's probably a part of me who, if I knew 
that I was a hundred percent in the right. Um, that that twenty dollar bill, you know, was not counterfeit. That I was not trying to scam someone. And a police officer comes up and slams me on the yep. ground. I'm probably not going to respond to that um, in a totally compliant yep. manner. And and so. Yeah. You know, I don't know what needs to happen. We'll probably talk about this later in the podcast, but just I I don't know what needs to happen, whether it's, you know, just, you know, better training or police reform or whatever you want to call it. But it's, you know, something's something's got to give now. Yeah. And and hopefully, hopefully this is a wake up call uh, for, you know, for the police force, for the country, for for all citizens and i think we should all be super frustrated and and not not to take away did you guys um hear about the i believe her name's pronounced name is pronounced brianna brianna taylor and kenneth walker yes yeah the other week in louisville and that 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 one's the one and 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 it may not have been Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. talked Mm -hmm. about as much um because there was no video you know there there wasn't uh, wasn't someone there to record it but you know, Kenneth, uh-huh. Kenneth yeah. being the boyfriend, Brianna, uh, the girlfriend, um, and apparently these Louisville police officers in plain clothes start busting their apartment on, I don't know, was it, was it a drug search? Was it, you know? Yeah, I read that it was part of a bust earlier that day, but the suspect, right. like they had um, apparently like false information or the wrong apartment complex. Yes. The wrong address. Yeah, and yeah, so and so at, at two in the morning or whenever this goes down, you know the boyfriend Kenneth uh, thinks that the home is being broken into, and you know he he lawfully uh, defends his property and his family, um, and Brianna ends up being shot to death, and they cart him off to jail. And luck, you know, thank God, you know we are hearing uh, now that he has been. Uh, uh, acquitted of, of all charges they were trying to charge him uh for i don't i mean i don't know what the charge was but uh for 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 defending his own defending his family yeah. for for shooting back and i put myself in the same position you know what my you know my wife and i we just moved to athens we're in a in an apartment complex and you best believe um, i'm a proud supporter of the second amendment and if if two guys kick in my door at two in the morning someone's getting shot at yep <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna take the time to. Hey, right. hey, right. you know, are you guys police officers? Oh yeah, y'all coming in? Check. There's no drugs here. Sorry about it. Sorry for the you know miscommunication. I'm there's. I, I just. It's it's like we were talking about just, earlier. Just the amount of ridiculous things that are are happening lately. Um, you know, uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's, it seems like we're coming to a fever pitch. Well, let's talk about then to. Yeah. I don't want to move us on too quickly, but let's talk about how not to respond mm-hmm. and kind of some of the unhealthy responses that you guys have seen. Mm-hmm. Hank, you, you want to go first, Hank? <laughs> this, this is a really tough one because while there are unhealthy responses, I think it's the 
understanding that we're at unhealthy responses because the problem has not been dealt with before. So interestingly enough, um, you know, I sat with our uh, criminal justice professor, Dean, uh, because she had a very strong reaction. She comes from a police force background, and she was very frustrated. And what we talked about in terms of response was the fact that it's been all the wrong responses from leadership. So there's no leadership that has come, like everyone has been a weak leader. We've been silent at the national level, except in perpetuating stereotypes. And then then we have been very almost silent at the local level. And she mentioned something really interesting. She said, the police chief should have immediately come out and condemned the what happened. And when that didn't happen, it just allowed things to continue to fester. But she said Minneapolis has been a long, like she, she said, it's a powder keg. And this was just the final straw. And so now you have three precincts on fire because essentially we didn't take care of these issues ahead of time. Connection was a little bad. No. Repeat, what? repeat your last <laughs> sentence for us. Oh, I wait. The last, probably the last thirty seconds. <laughs> oh, so I said, my, my, so I'll back up and say, my brother, you know, asked our family chat and said, you know, where was where was the leadership and really where was the church um, at this moment? Where, why are the voices who are closest to the area silent? Because we know that what is going to happen is that you get voices from everywhere else and people's anger that they bring in and their wounds. Um, and there was a young woman who is videotaped and she said, this is 300 years worth of anguish, right? They were protesting 300, this is 300 years worth of anguish, right? So she's angry now. And when people are angry and when they don't feel heard, we get riot. We don't, we don't get, and there's a difference, right? Protest and riot, but we get riots because And I have heard this from so many people today. They have said, let me get this straight. When people try to peacefully protest, you got upset. When people have been quiet and they've been doing the things the right way, you have, you have, no one has done anything. But now that buildings are burning, that people are being, that just at the end there so you're saying that when the riots began that's when the action began to be taken basically yes yeah so it's it's a complete so basically we we fed the riot we we fed inaction fed the riot well it's funny when you said that i thought of what i tell foster parents often and it kind of convicted me is that when a child responds Mm -hmm. to an abnormal situation in an abnormal way it's actually Uh normal you know we Uh we see all these bizarre behaviors Uh that children do as a result of trauma but Uh what I teach the foster parents Uh is that that's actually normal for what they've been through and I kind of see a little not exactly the same but a, a parallel here in that you know, people, uh-huh. when they aren't, their words aren't listened to, then that's when you start to resort right. to action. That's how anger is, you know. Uh-huh. The fear uh, uh-huh. leads uh-huh. to uh-huh. anger. Uh-huh. 
And then when your words are not heard and things can't be solved through words, people in resort to actions in an unhealthy manner. Right. Right. Yeah. And I, and I mean, from a, from a biblical perspective, we do say be angry and sin not, right? Do things in a <clears throat> positive way. Use your speech. Be careful. Um, but in the absence of the church, you have people who are going to stir the pot. The enemy is yeah. alive and he's going to like provoke and he's going to like make sure that we are responding in the flesh. Yeah. Right. <laughs> more, more so. And so I, I do think that's, that's, um, you know, something that that's, I was, I think I am very disappointed that we are not hearing more from our faith leaders. Um, that's all. a great point. Yeah, I think I'll add to that. I think I agree with everything that was said, and then and then plus some. And and uh, you both know my position on uh, uh, the response, the rioting, and the looting. And <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, I I'm not surprised by any of it. Uh, we see it all the time. You know, natural disasters or. Uh, you know, I think that, oh, I think that humans um, being fallen, having a sin nature um, makes us very opportunistic. Um, and that's what I saw. I, and, I, you know, again, I, I think you're probably right. I think I think that a lot of this may have to do with the fact that that things have been overlooked or, or, you know, kicked under the table or, you know, uh, just like you said, gone unanswered. Um, but at the same time, uh, has a lot to do with us just being fallen. Um, and, you know, in the video, I, I got in the discussion and I, I've, I've shot away from it. Uh, mm-hmm. for a while from getting into any kind of political discourse on social media because it's yeah um but i did i couldn't help it I, I saw a post about you know kind of what you were saying but but in a much more uh, judgmental maybe kind of way um basically just saying you know all you people who are calling out the right. looters are <laughs> yeah. you know whatever and and uh so i i had on uh and uh, basically just the consensus was, you know, I under- he, he said something along the lines of, well, these people are just taking what they need. And when you look at the video from Target, it, they're, they're running out with, you know, television sets and uh, bottles of liquor. And, you know, I, again, I, I, I understand frustration. I understand uh, wanting justice. Um, but I don't understand the justification. I, I mean, it, it it goes down to the very simple platitude that two wrongs don't make a right. Um, that yeah, that you know yeah. that, that we've been yeah. taught since we were since we were small children, and I uh, I just think that I think that the entire and, and and maybe I'm maybe I just run different crowds. Maybe I've I've heard different things from different people, but it seemed like you know there for the first couple of days the nation had 
rallied um, around the fact that this was a very, very, very bad thing that happened. So, so at least the first couple of days, you know, when this first started popping up on, uh, you know, your news outlets and your social media, it seemed like the nation had all kind of rallied around the fact that this was a terrible thing that had happened, um, that this police officer or this police force needed to be held accountable. And then literally 24 hours later, um, you see, you know, this video from Target or uh, these small mm-hmm. businesses and apartment complexes being burned to the ground. And now we have division. And it's 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 a uh, it's it, that that to me is frustrating because it's like we take a step forward and then automatically take two steps back because now now we're not focusing on the issue of George Floyd being murdered. Now it's finger pointing on both sides. Um, you know, all of a sudden we're all mad at each other because, mm-hmm. you know, some people made a bad decision and, and looted a target. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, that's. It's frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just frustrated. And that that idea, two wrongs don't make a right. I mean, that's biblical. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is, to me, that's like basic, that's marriage 101. Right. Like if Kyle sins against me, that does not give me a right to then sin against Kyle. But that's what my flesh wants to do. That's mm-hmm. what we all want to do. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, I do think you're right, Ridge. It speaks to the depravity of man um and also i think there is something to be said for the feeling making people feel as though they're powerless and this kind of goes back to my last conversation the first podcast we did is i don't like the message of all of this systemic like this this oppression is imposed upon you you're stuck in your victimhood state Mm. and there's nothing you can do about it and that message just being because and it's horrible because it's like we have to deal with the actual issues of oppression that are there you know there are issues that are there as evidenced by george floyd's case but Mm -hmm. when you're constantly preaching at people and telling them they're a victim, you, you know, they're powerless. It, it, it creates and builds that frustration. You know, it, that's kind of what I thought when we were talking about the looting is just like, yes, that is built frustration it is built anguish. Um, and we have to be, I think, more responsible in the messages that we send out to people you know messages of hope and messages of you know steps and Mm -hmm. ways we can take back control of our own police forces of our own government of our own political systems you know um we don't that message of you're powerless and the only way you'll be free is to violently break yourself out you know that's not that's not healthy how not to respond anything else we want to mention in that category yeah i'll mention one and this goes back to facebook i just i think everyone needs to before they open their mouths and voice any opinion and I'll be honest, when you guys, uh, listen, I put off this podcast. I don't know if you guys noticed. I put it off. I, <laughs> oh, I, we noticed. I have, 
<laughs> I ducked and dodged and came up with every excuse. Um, yes, you did. I and it's because I mean I I I told Atara and I wish she was on here. Uh, she and I were texting one day and basically. I told her that when I was in college, I thoroughly enjoyed uh, being the guy who everyone at least thought had the answers. Um, <laughs> and yeah, that was that was who I was. I you know I, I sat in the back corner of the dining hall, and people came to me with their problems, and I fixed them. And that that's just you know who I was. And I was very quick to voice opinions and you know, spat out at the mouth. And, you know, sometimes I was right. Probably most of the time I was wrong. <laughs> and, um, but just in this situation, I think that everyone needs to take a deep breath and think about what it is that they're saying and mm-hmm. how it affects those around them. Um, and then just try and practice a little bit of empathy um, on on both sides that's that's how i think we you know should or should not react to any to any situation but but this one one i think it's a standard um and i do i do think that that is a really important thing i also think you know prayer is really important right so um there are a lot of things that the Bible tells us <laughs> that in terms of how we should be responding and how we should act um, in particular settings. And, and I'm going to go back to last week, Ridge, in terms of what you were saying about how you were raised and at looking at everything truly, truly through this lens of scripture and does it match up and does this behavior match up. Right. And uh, there are a lot of times that, but also giving room and others and grace to others when they act, you know, out of emotion and trying to be understanding. Um, I think there's a slowness to the response. Not posting about this. If you're not writing about, you know, or I'm not talking to you and, and there's almost this, like, you should be doing something. You should be saying something. But sometimes we sh- we don't need to be saying anything, and it's what we need to do. I had right. a conversation with someone today. Out, just they were like, "I've just been thinking about you through all of this." And then I have a, a group of um, amigas, and uh, they, we one one of our friends is is uh, Colombian, and so she was saying that her heart breaks when she hears about this. And as a family, you know, they really kind of, you know, struggle with hearing about these stories um, because, you know, it's very different from her coming from another culture and things to try to understand what is happening, right, in in this nation. And, um, but, so she said, you know, I just don't know what to do. And, my other friend said, I'm checking on you. I want to do something, but I don't know what to do. And I said, but the one thing that I do admire you for is that you're raising your kids to welcome and accept any type of person. Like you've been through so much. And in her counseling, she sees every type of person um, and has some like fascinating stories where she's not exclusionary um, in any way. And I think that is great because you're always available to present the gospel 
and be like Christ to another person. And so when I think about ways of responding that may be more negative, I think also sometimes just sharing, like you were saying, Ridge, if I go on my soapbox and I just share my opinion and I just say without thinking, without praying about it, without sitting and listening, that sometimes, yeah, I don't, I don't need to just go and say something. I don't need to talk about how I'm feeling at this particular more moment or spread it on, on social media. And I do think social media drives so much it of does. the negativity anyway. Um, and makes because I know I feel a certain way once I start watching and once like my favorite people start tweeting <laughs> or start posting or my friend posts the, I mean, I posted the little song by the 12 year old in my story um, um, just because that particular song absolutely touched me in terms of this 12 year old kind of singing about his experience. Um, but it, it's one of those things where I think people grieve and they process in different ways. And so one of the best ways I think to respond is to listen, to take it in and then to prayerfully consider how you respond. And sometimes we're just responding to individuals. Um, You know, I think people who have a platform or, you know, more of a platform, they can use their platform or you can figure out how to use your platform um, in a way. But I think that snap rush to judgment um, but I shouldn't say rush to judgment, that rush to, to just write something that is your opinion without considering how it may or may not impact others is, is really difficult because you, you, we alienate often and sometimes it's our pain that alienates and listening allows us to know whether or not this person is speaking out of pain or is this person speaking out of, you know, I know it all and I'm just trying to know it all. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. There's a difference, you know, between the two. But um, I've seen a lot of pain. I've seen a lot more pain. But the people that are having conversations usually are having them in private. They're having them in quiet. They're having them, you know, um, in in what I call safer spaces because the internet is not really safe. Um, but they're having them in, in some safer spaces. So I think listening is is a really important one and not just blabbering off at the yeah. mouth <laughs> and I, mm-hmm. the first thing that comes to mind may not be the best way to respond and the other thing I would say is that we do really need to think about our speech and I'm just going to be very political for a moment because one of the things that really bothered me today um, was the president's tweet that was eventually banned by Twitter because it was a subtly incendiary tweet. I don't even know if it was subtle, um, because when you when you capitalize thugs, um, and then when you use a phrase that was used formerly by white supremacists to describe volatile situations in the past, Miami and Alabama, George Wallace. I'm like these are these are not. I'm like. Seeing George Wallace with, you know, a big Confederate flag behind him talking about, you know, how much he dislikes a particular group of people. But using that same phrase, like you're just tweeting, either you're willfully ignorant or you're just wanting to stoke the fire of what's going on. 
and that is irresponsible leadership you know um, to do something like that because you're harming the situation more than helping the situation and yeah garnering now you're now you're in a fight with twitter now you're talking about such and such and once again it's taking away from the issue that's there and it's also taking away from a very painful situation for a lot of people and so like we we do need to be careful about our words because it, it may sound great you know when they start looting we start shooting but the the there is an ideology to that phrase that is such a stain wow. on our nation he that, he tweeted you know, that yeah 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 oh my gosh yeah yeah, the tweet I'm was so um, glad I got off so Twitter. <laughs> yeah, the tweet was actually, and this is the big thing now because it's like, well, it's you know a First Amendment right that you should be able to to tweet. Um, and so basically, Twitter then came and said it incites violence. And so because it does, you know, they put that little right. warning over it, and you can read it, but there's a warning over it. And then they went back and said something that said like. We're going to leave it up here. <laughs> since, since we're now on the hot seat, we're just going to leave this here. Well, we're just going to wait and, and let you know that this is not. I don't know if I want to play it. I don't even know if I call this playing devil's advocate because you guys know how I feel about the Trump administration. Um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> but yeah. you do. And the internet is such a crazy place um, because mm-hmm. you. Uh, I don't even know if I want to wade into the, the murky waters of, of political social media but you do have Uh these two massive tech giants Uh being you know Uh twitter and facebook who are without a shadow of a doubt censoring um ideologies Uh and and some that you know some Uh that are you know are are only being censored because political or um, right. mm-hmm. uh, I read an article mm-hmm. the other day and I wish I had thought about it a little bit harder um, or known that I would have been bringing it up on the podcast because I would have written it down um, but it was um, <laughs> one of the anti-abortion um, uh, pro-life movements um, that had apparently mm-hmm. been had been being censored by Twitter and Facebook and they call it shadow banning um, yeah and I yeah yes. again mm-hmm. I'm, I'm about as uh, technologically, you know, savvy as a two-year-old. Um, but apparently that just means that you can be banned to where, you know, people aren't able to see your content, but you won't be uh, notified that people aren't seeing your content. So there's uh-huh. Uh-huh. a very real issue, uh, you know, going on right now when it comes to uh, these tech monopolies and your First Amendment rights. That being said, uh-huh. the man is the leader of the free world, <laughs> right. and he needs to stop bleeding at the mouth. He, he yeah. The, I think the yeah. pr- more the pertinent issue is probably because I agree with you, Rich. I I know the censorship, the and the algorithms. You yes. know, they uh-huh. pick up on certain words. Right. Oh, you play this, this podcast. They ban them. This podcast will be banned before yeah. before it's said and done. Right. Right. <laughs> no, and it's I true. think we're it's we're true. a little yeah. you know good because it's a generic name, so hopefully that will help us. But anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, I think the more pertinent issue is just that he like 
as leaders, not just him, but every leader has a responsibility uh-huh. to use their words well and to bring life with right. their words. And when they have to say hard things, to say them in a careful way. And it's just true that yeah. people yeah. follow leaders. They, you know, they follow their lead, especially elected officials, because we are inundated with their campaigns and they're all, all over media and they're right. well known. And, right. you know, the president, for example, has a very, very large following of people that have undying affection mm-hmm. for him, no mm-hmm. matter what he does. And it's kind of amazing. Yeah. But, yeah. it, it, and so, you know, <laughs> I think that's a really good point, Dr. Haynes, that just on social media, you know, we all can lead by being careful with our words. You know, you both said not being yeah. Yeah. reactionary. Yeah. I know for me, I just kind of feel like this is not an issue that I I understand it at maybe an intellectual level, and I'm still growing in my understanding intellectually, but I don't know it at an experiential level. So I, I personally just mm-hmm. like, I don't feel like it's my place to post about like my own opinions about mm-hmm. it, you know, like I'll engage, you know, this conversation mm-hmm. with you guys is really great. And I don't feel like I don't have a right to speak about it at all, but I just feel like in a time where people are going through so much pain, that's just kind of what I personally feel is like, that's a pain that I don't know at a deep level. And so, you know, I'll share other people's posts and things like that, but I just feel uncomfortable, honestly, posting a long rant of my own opinion. Right. And I think that's important you may want to post that, though, because I think what's very frustrating. So I'm, I'm like so conflicted about this. <laughs> I have so many feelings, and I have so many conflicts um, in here because one of my biggest concerns in this conversation, in these conversations, is that we're also saying, mm. if my white friends don't post, then they're not anti-racist, and and I think that is very frustrating because I know quite a few white people who are not posting because yeah. you also then say if you post and you don't put you post something that I don't like <laughs> then I'm gonna label you you know in this way or I I am fed up with um I don't want to say anything I don't want to I don't I don't I don't want to talk about it I don't want to have conversation I don't want to do such and such I don't want to teach and there there's a there's a component and maybe it's the teaching part of me, but I hate it when people say I'm angry at you, but I don't want to tell you why I'm angry at you. Um, <laughs> so I want you to sit here and I want you to guess why I'm, why I, you know, you're, why I'm upset, why I'm frustrated, but that doesn't help us get, you know, through this problem. And it, it does break down dialogue. And so I do think the other thing that happens, and I guess you could call it virtue signaling and all that good stuff, but we won't get into that. But essentially, we have a lot of yes. people also telling people that you should be responding in this way. And, and I don't think we everybody has to be on Twitter responding in this way or bearing their feelings. You know, we all have different gifts and things that we like to do. Um, I think some people are going to have dialogue. I think some people are going to even go further. My mom called me up and she said, I, she, I need to run to the store for 
my dad who's not feeling very well and and so forth and so on um which is why I was cutting in and out (laughs) and so um she's like oh but I would have expected you to be at the you're not downtown at the protest (laughs) and I was just like no mom not downtown at the protest um (laughs) here today but we'll be talking about it and maybe a small audience will be receptive I was just gonna ask you know, it kind of going back to what Blake things, but, yeah. brought up about, you know, she and I, as different as we are, you know, we share the common fact that we are technically in, you know, upper-ish middle class, uh, you know, white community who has been told over and over again um, on your social mm-hmm. media that our voice doesn't matter. Uh, you know, I think I think you brought it up. I think you brought it up the other week uh, when when I came on the the, the podcast for the mm-hmm. first time was you know that the one of the reasons you were excited to have me was because I was that guy who uh, who who isn't supposed to talk about these things. Is that is that a an actual idea that is held by most of the African American community or? Or is that just a platitude held by some very loud people on the internet? It, do, do you know what I'm asking? Like, is that is it? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I totally understand what you're asking. I think I was raised in a very different way, um, and so I do think. Okay, so I should say this: what is happening, especially with younger generations? of African-American children, kids, is that especially in more urban environments, they are, and kind of what I call city suburban. So suburban areas that are very close to a city is that there is this, parents are telling their kids that basically, Mm. and I didn't realize it was happening, but basically, white blood enemy and they're so different from you and they are treacherous and then they use these right these incidents that happen to blanket statement um a group of people so they have no right to speak about these things then i don't know if you guys are aware of the no white savior movement which we'll have to have a whole separate podcast about but i was (laughs) i was on their um website and a lot of people that I love and respect follow this um I was on their Instagram site but they follow their site and um it's it's very controversial but it to me is some is a theme that I'm seeing and I'm very frustrated with and so one of the statements that they made was that they do a lot of work in Africa and so they basically said there should be no white people teaching African history. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, I was a history major undergrad. My mom is a historian. Um, So my mom who came from Jamaica, who taught history for years, you're basically saying that she should never teach American history because she is not from America. Right. And like, and, and then Let's not negate the fact that Namibia, South Africa, Lesotho, you have um, populations uh, of whites who have been there for generations, you know, generations. And, you know, it's this whole reconceptualization of the, the colonizer arguments and things like that. But I have white friends who are African. 
I have Asian friends who are African, who consider themselves African. And I also think that this is a new, what I would call a new neo-colonization. What's happening is like, we're coming in to tell people, this is how you should think. We're recolonizing. We're, We're now saying, this is how you should rethink this whole process of your colonization. We're gonna recolonize you and yes. we're gonna have you think about this, but no one is no one is questioning any of this. And so, but we're also not questioning that we're being monolith one, once again. We're saying that these groups do not have a, a, a right to speak about, that they shouldn't be speaking about. And it's not as easy as that. It's not black and white. It's not, you know. Way more nuanced. <laughs> yeah. Well, even like families are way more nuanced right. now. Are you kidding yeah. me? Like American families are all kinds of different mm-hmm. ethnicities, nationalities, mm-hmm. races, you know, like what about the people that literally have ties to multiple groups, you know, like it just, we're really, yeah, we really are <laughs> regressing and it's concerning. We are. And, and so Ridge, you know, what is frustrating me and is very, 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 scary to me is that you do now have pockets and and, and and a lot of middle class African it used to be like poor poor African American families aren't around a lot of people from outside and there is this whole these people have and we we don't right yeah. Um, yeah. there's a lot of literature on <clears throat> acting white the burden of acting white John Ogbu's work. And I always find it fascinating because John Ogbu is a Nigerian immigrant who came in to study African-Americans and a friend of mine, Darren Graves um, in Massachusetts, he, he continues this work because this whole notion of doing all of these things, which, you know, I think are very normal. But my speech and my lack of ability to code switch makes it more, somebody would say that I am acting white or I prefer, Mm. I have a proximity to whiteness. Um, (laughs) That's it. I've heard people say that to Atara before, actually. And none of them understood that it was offensive what they're right. saying absolutely absolutely and you have now have parents then who are saying okay well no blackness is is can be all of these things but as long as you stay within the the blackness and it's in every form so it's from you know are you wearing your hair did you wear your hair why are you straightening your hair um, are you you know rushing to ideals of x y and z down to there is now this concern um there have been interracial marriages for years but now more more black women are beginning to marry outside of their race. And that now has posed problems. So I am hearing black fathers say, I would not allow my daughter to date a white male. And here's yeah. all the mm-hmm. reasons why yeah. it has to do with like they're tying it to oppression. And actually I was reading a blog and they said, Can you be pro black and married to a person who is not black? And it's like and there were so many people who said, you can't, you can't speak to black issues if you're married to somebody who's not black because wow. marriage is political. And I was just like, okay, I, where, where have we gone? So we are so, we, and, and Ridge, I think you said this earlier, we're going backwards. Yeah. We're going backwards. So it feels like, <laughs> and again, you know, I was, I haven't been around, you know, 
you know, mm-hmm. or at least knowledgeable of anything for, for a long enough time to give an accurate, uh, uh, you know, rating of, of history. But it's like, you know, in, even in my, how old am I, 26? In my 26 years, it seems like it went from, you know, okay, I guess, to mm-hmm. the worse. Like, it, it feels like, it feels like we're worsening now, especially over the past 10 or 15 like yeah it, it yeah. seems like we have we have paced in the wrong direction mm-hmm. and it feels like it's coming from both sides it's you know it's not yes. it's not mm-hmm. you know white supremacist or or mm-hmm. you know black mm-hmm. aggressors or whatever it just seems yeah. like a, a, a <laughs> you know almost a you know it i don't know it, it reminds me of nationalism it's you know like like, like yeah. what you were saying earlier about mm-hmm. you know how uh, there should be no white uh, teachers of, of African history. That's, mm-hmm. Is that not nationalism? I mean, is that not like <laughs> is that not the very thing that we've been preaching against for yeah you know decades? I, I just I don't know. I'm... Yeah. So we gotta oh, we're gonna be way over time. It's great though. This has been an amazing conversation. Uh, we gotta reel it in though. Um, <laughs> I think that what came to mind, Ridge, uh, as far as solutions, when you just said that, is that, you know, we are demanding revenge Mm -hmm. for past Mm -hmm. sins of our forefathers. Mm -hmm. You know, we are, it's like the society today cannot, cannot forgive. And and I don't want anyone to let it go. Like the current or past events, like that's not healthy to ignore it or let it go. But there has to be very real reconciliation. Mm -hmm. And that, of course, only comes through Christ and our understanding of the person of Mm -hmm. Christ and thinking about how he, you know, he was mistreated in the most brutal way possible. Mm -hmm. He was, you know, if we think about he's the only good man that a bad thing ever happened to, (laughs) you know, and that was the cross. And I think for believers, understanding that is crucial to engaging in these conversations. And we need to constantly be bringing that in, especially when talking to believers Mm -hmm. about how, you know, we have to remember Christ and we have to remember that he died for us not to be divided along racial lines you know it's astounding that this has to continue to be dealt with in every civilization every generation you know um any closing thoughts that y'all have on that i think you summed it up pretty good good work yeah i think it's a good segue because i think we probably need to have a conversation you know one of the things that we've talked about is the wrong ways to react and I think the next thing that and we can think about this over the the course of the next week is the right ways to respond the response of the church you know the silence is there but this really important conversation about reconciliation um I think we've avoided the conversation on reconciliation for for a couple of decades now and I think we keep going back to the same place because we do things like, okay, we're going to apologize for this, but we're not reconciling. 
right? So we're giving an apology without yeah. seeking reconciliation. So I can go to my husband and say, I'm sorry for this that I've been doing and whatnot. I'm sorry. I apologize. But if I'm not seeking to reconcile, then when it comes back up again or when it, you know, is an issue, we haven't, we, mm-hmm. haven't, really sol- we haven't really begun to try to solve the issue. And so um, this, yeah. that's probably um, a conversation that we can have and, and chit chat about in the future. Yeah. I just have to say this. I, like, I don't know about y'all, but like a blanket apology never works for me. <laughs> I want, like, if talking about marriage, I want my husband to tell me, I'm, this made you feel this way, and I'm so sorry. I see that right. now. You know, I want him to put himself in my shoes, and I think, yeah, we can talk about all that. Um, the same for this uh, discussion. So. Did you get that, Rich? Did you get that little bit? Uh, yeah, I've been taking this I underline this one. Jenna's, Jenna's not here right now, so I can make that sound like it was my idea. And uh, I'll, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna pocket that one for later. All right. Well, this has been a good yeah. one. Uh, y'all be think- mulling that over for next week. And thanks, everyone. Again, if you're the one person listening to this, uh, we really tell your friends. You. Yes. <laughs> All right. All right. Bye, Bye. y'all. <laughs>